Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Bruce Royal continues our series of messages on the Gospel according to Mark. Today, looking at Mark chapter 15, verses 21 through 47. And now, here's Bruce. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Good. Looking good. Our portion before us today is Mark chapter 15, verses 21 to 47. And it deals with the crucifixion of Jesus. The previous portion that was perhaps covered last week in verses 16 to 20 talks about the intentional breaking down of Jesus. And after doing that, the Romans were finally ready to crucify Him. But you read that portion of how they put a crown of thorns on His head and how they gathered around Him the whole company and how they taunted and mocked Him and asked Him not only a humiliation of the body, but humiliation of your identity, your dignity, and humiliation of your spirit. The Roman soldiers were experts, and, and, and they were cruel at torture and intimidation. The goal, of course, was to deter anyone from doing what the people that were being crucified had done. But the interesting thing is, Jesus was innocent. He was not guilty of anything, and he was called out for special treatment in terms of cruelty and torture. We will never, ever have the displeasure of entering in the space that Jesus occupied for us in our life. We never will. I'm going to push this out of the way because I don't think I need it as long as it stays there. Okay, let's read our text for this morning. If you have your Bibles handy, we're going to read from Mark chapter 15, verses 21 to 47. And I'm going to read from the New International Version. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon the father of Alexander, and Rufus was passing by his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him, dividing up his clothes, and they cast lots to see what each would get. This is the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified Two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. 
He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine and vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone and let's see if Elijah comes and take him down, they said. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, who stood there in front of Jesus, heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, mother, Mary the mother of James and the younger, and Joseph and Salome. And in Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. Let's just open our time in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've given to us today, the crucifixion of Jesus, the story the narrative of what happened to your dear Son on the cross. Lord, may you just impart us with those thoughts today. Bring us closer to the foot of the cross as we meditate and go through these thoughts and verses in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, the text before us, the opening portion says that a certain man passerby, was compelled into service. Otherwise, he was forced into service to meet the needs of Rome while serving God by physically supporting Jesus. And this is possibly the only place in the Bible where it describes Jesus in a position where he actually needs the help of fellow man. He physically could not make the walk of Golgotha himself without assistance. He would have died of exhaustion along the way and never made it to the cross. We see here a picture of ancient Jerusalem. And I have a pointer here with a laser on it, (laughs) which could get dangerous unless the... Press and hold this, and then move from the left to the right, and then you can go right. Oh, boy. Just press and hold it. Now it's in the right spot. Okay. I'll turn the camera a little bit so people can see. Okay. So, this is the Praetorium. This is the hill of Golgotha, Calvary. So, after he was beaten, he would have been led possibly along this route 
and then up to Calvary. We don't know how far that is, but it's the distance. And after you've been beaten the way he was by all of the Roman soldiers and the entire company, it's amazing he could even walk, let alone carry a cross. The Roman soldier is not aware, but by their insistence of pressing the father of Alexander and Rufus to help Jesus, ensured the fulfillment of the gospel. The complete story of Jesus had its roots in the prophetic statements of the Old Testament characters, such as Isaiah and David. We go back in the Bible, all the way along, all the way through, there's leading, there's pictures, there's stories that are leading us to the crucifixion, the fullness of the gospel of Jesus. The Isaiah 50, verse 7, prophesizes of the resolute nature of Jesus to face the cross and obtain the glory set before him. Isaiah 50, verse 7 says, For the Lord God helps me, therefore I have set my face like flint, and I know I shall not be ashamed. Flint is a very hard rock. Dark rock, it's used figuratively in this verse, to express the hardness and the toughness of the impossible task that was before him and the inflexibility and the unwavering commitment of Jesus to go to the cross. So staying on track for God requires us to set our faces like flint with an awareness of His presence. The insertion of the assistance provided by the father of Alexander and Rufus is not to be taken casually. It's not like saying, oh yeah, there is this guy that helped Jesus along the way, and you know, it's probably not that important, but he gave him a hand, you know, and that sort of thing. We know that everything that's included in the Bible is important to the story. God ordains every detail that's included in there. So why include this point at the climax of the Gospel narrative? I think there's an intentional transition in happening that's taking place in the final hours here. The transition is the transfer of the responsibility of telling the Jesus story, the gospel of Jesus, from himself to his people. It's like the relay race. The baton is being transferred. The support and service the Father of Alexander and Rufus is a beautiful picture of Jesus saying, I need your help. You guys, you carry the story forward. I won't be physically with you. Spiritually I will, but physically I won't. So, we too, by being the sons and daughters of God, are compelled to serve God in diverse ways. Most notably, and not forcibly by the Holy Spirit and the leading of the Spirit. 
in a way that pleases God, just as the way Alexander the Father pleased him on that day. And the question arises, would we describe our intention to serve Christ as like setting our faces like flint? Unmovable in our determination. And as God has compelled us to do. Or, like some days in our lives, do we set our faces like something softer? Like graphite or talc. Or even some days we set our faces like putty. But God is gracious to forgive us when we don't have the strength to follow through. And God says, pick yourself up and keep going. But unfortunately for this man, the father of Alexander, he had no choice. His very life was threatened. Our lives may never be threatened. And we have the liberty and freedom, for the most part, to say, yes, we want to get involved in that, or no, we don't. This, of course, is like a double-edged sword. Because one day we'll give an account to Jesus of what we did with opportunities that He presented to us. He gives us opportunities. He says, I'm calling you to this or to that. Will you just take up whatever it is and follow me? Jesus was crucified at Golgotha. That hill that was on the slide, it's thought to be in that location. Place of the skull. They offered him wine mixed with myrrh. The sour wine and myrrh were given to a crucified person to possibly slightly intoxicate them in an attempt to diminish the suffering. By combining myrrh and gal and sour wine, an anesthetic herb is created that could be used to lessen the pain of those being crucified. But he didn't take it. And why is that? Think about this. The dentist says to you, I'm going to pull your tooth today. Do you want the Novocaine or not? Probably never had that choice before, but... Or, the doctor says, we're going to have to reset that broken bone in your leg. Do you want Dr. Hook to come in and help with the anesthesia? You say, no, I'll take the pain. This is not a perfect comparison by any means, but you get the idea there is a difference. Having something to screen the pain and not. The key is Jesus' payment for sin on the cross could not be anesthetized. It must have the full conscious focus of Jesus taking the fullness of the punishment without judgment being attenuated or watered down. Or someone somewhere would say, he did not really take the full punishment for sin of crucifixion. It was masked by a drug. But he didn't. Therefore, it was quite necessary in the Bible to mention that Jesus did not take it. 
I'm not suggesting that the pain that Jesus experienced on the cross was the complete payment for sin. He experienced much, much more than that, including the humiliation that we went through, the mock and the abandonment, the pain of seeing his family and friends. All this excludes the sin of humanity that he took upon himself. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 24 says, He Himself bore our sins in His body. In His body. On the tree, so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By His wounds, we have been healed. There's no explanation of how we can understand what Jesus completely experienced for us becoming sin for us. The mind spins and marvels at the wonder of the price of redemption. Bringing, being purchased out of the slave market of sin and be given standing before God as a completely forgiven child of God. What an amazing thought. What an amazing gift. Jesus exchanged our sin for His righteousness. Amen? Amen. We can only say in the humbleness of our broken heart, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. James and John's mother once asked Jesus if they could be seated, seated, not seated, Sharon would get after me, at the right and left of Jesus in heaven. But would they take the right and the left in crucifixion? This was Jesus' public coronation announcement. Behold, the sign says, the King of the Jews. But the people mocked Jesus rather than celebrating the coronation. People mocked at the foot of the cross. But in Psalm 37, verses 12 and 13, it says, The wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth, which is what they were doing at the foot of the cross, looking up on Jesus. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for He knows their day is coming. The thought here is that the human mocking of the Son of God dying for humanity at the foot of the cross is so feeble that it's like God mocking at their attempt to try to take away from what's going on. The plan is God's plan of salvation is unfolding before their very eyes and people think that their mocking is going to make a difference. This has been set in stone. This has been set in place since the foundation of the world. And it's happening just as God predicted it. And for some, unfortunately, the response is mocking. The masses, the passers-by, the chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, Sadducees, all, even those being crucified, finally agree on one common thing. Let's all taunt Jesus. Let's all taunt Him. It's a picture of the world when Jesus said in John chapter 1, verse 12, 
And he came to his own, and his own received him not. They wouldn't have him. They wouldn't have anything to do with him, even at his final breath. And while Jesus fulfilling the, the plan and God's plan of redemption, the satisfaction of God's full and complete payment for sin. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. All of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And this is a puzzling verse. Considering God's provision for his plan of redemption, Isaiah 53 verse 10 says, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. It was the Lord's will to cause the pain to come on Jesus rather than on us. And it was the Lord's will that He should bear that for us. What an amazing thing. The Father saying, take my Son, but allow them to go free. Amazing. This was the ushering in of the kingdom of God. The fullness of the kingdom of God. His time had completely come. His public earthly ministry was coming to an end. The completion of his, his physical and earthly struggle. No longer the endless debating in the marketplace. That period and that time was gone. The plots to kill him. All those things were gone. And Jesus physically running for his life at times. Ended. The earthly story is about to be completed. The crucifixion is the fulfillment of the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. And we find that in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 to 11. But it says, um, Well, I knew I'd break it. It didn't take very long, but I've done that. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 to 11. Ah, there we go. Get some help from our friends. It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom has come in the person of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for us. Your kingdom has come. Your will has been done on earth as it is in heaven. And nothing could stop the will of God being fulfilled. Nothing. What was going through the minds of God and the thoughts of Jesus during this climax? We do have some startling, insightful revelations. And perhaps for homework this afternoon, we read Psalm 22. And, the, and Isaiah 53 in its entirety. And there's other places where it gives you this wonderful insight of what was going through the mind of God as He was being crucified. But more personally, what goes through our mind as we read and meditate upon the crucifixion? 
This is the point of the cross. This is the point of communion. As we come to remember Christ, our mind, our hearts are focused on the person of Jesus and what He's done for us. Several people from BFA participated in a prayer meditation walk last weekend at Three Crosses in Huntsville. And along that meditation and prayer walk, one of the stations of meditation was what they call the Lower Three Crosses, was where three crosses were erected alongside a busy highway. At this point of the meditation and prayer walk, we as participants were invited to come to the foot of the cross and meditate upon the crucifixion in the person of Jesus. The reaction to the responses with cars driving by and the noises of the distraction of what's going on in the everyday life were a variation of expressive worship and praise and pouring ourselves out to God at the foot of the cross. Being totally brought in to what Jesus has done for us and being immersed in the cross and looking up at that and just realizing we have an opportunity to come to the foot of the cross and just praise and worship Jesus for who He is and what He's doing there for us. What a wonderful, wonderful expression. It was very, very, very moving and intimate The moment was personal and intimate with God alongside a busy highway. Cars driving by wondering what people are doing. But does it matter? Does it matter what the world thinks? You're caught up in Jesus. That's all that matters. The world can drive by and take pictures. Whatever. Verse 15 simply says, And they crucified him. And they also divided up his clothes. They cast lots to see what each one would get. And it's amazing that God of this world would allow himself to be disgraced in such a way. His plan would allow human choice to receive or believe in him or reject him or treat him disgracefully. His plan allows for people to make their own choices. And someday, all eyes will be opened. And Philippians will say, works. At the name of Jesus. At the very name of Jesus. Every knee will bow. And it will happen in heaven. And it will happen under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. At the name of Jesus, one day, it's prophesied here, it will happen. Verse 25, it says, the third hour, they crucified Him, meaning that He was nailed to the cross, a torturous marathon of painful gasping for breath begins. The hours, I'm sure you've heard, 
and are aware of the horror of crucifixion. The hours of pushing the body up on nailed feet and hands to get a breath before collapsing back on the nails. Then we come to that very strange time in verse 33. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. In the ninth hour, Jesus cried in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The period between the sixth and ninth hour in our time is between noon and three. The highest time for the sun and the brightest time for the day. But darkness blanketed the whole earth. The earth was not meant to be open to the public for viewing. As the previous hours were, it was a private time between Jesus and His Father. And what was happening during that time? Hebrews chapter 9 gives us some insight of what was going on. Hebrews chapter 9 verses 11 to 12 says, When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, He went to the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. That is to say, not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of blood and goats, but He entered the most holy place once and for all by His own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. We know of the time annually when the high priest went into the tabernacle, the temple, went through the curtain into the Holy of Holies to offer sacrifice for the people one time a year. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24. For Christ did not enter that man-made temple or tabernacle that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven to appear for us in God's presence. He entered heaven as the true tabernacle. And He offered Himself. The priest had to go in and He always had to offer blood. Jesus went in and offered Himself and His own blood in the presence of His Father. But the Father must have forsaken the Son while He bore our sinfulness. He is offering Himself and He said that our sinfulness was taken in His body. And so as He went into the presence of God, the true tabernacle, He went in as our High Priest. Not the Jewish High Priest, our High Priest. Into the very presence of God Payment for sin was accomplished by our High Priest Jesus in the presence of His Holy Father. The Father did forsake Him for our sinfulness, 
But we come to Hebrews chapter 26. And it says, But now He appeared once and for all at the end of the age to do away with sin by the sacrifice of Himself. Sin is paid for completely, once and for all. We can rejoice in knowing our sin is completely paid for. Past, present, and future. It's done. And we can thank Jesus for it. By going into that place before the Father and offering Himself. The work of redemption is complete The work of the cross is complete. And with that, in verse 37, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed His last. At that moment, the thick curtain, the thick curtain is thought to be a hand span thick. Three and a half inches thick, the curtain. In the temple that was separated the presence of God in the most holy place from the common person was torn from top to bottom. And what's the significance of that? Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 21. The new and living way was opened for us through the curtain, which is His body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God. The living way, the curtains opened, we now can go in. We have access. Not the high priest once in a year. All of us have access any time, whenever we find ourselves in a situation we want to come before God, we can go through that curtain. It's been opened for us. This is the complete opposite when compared with the Old Testament model of that exclusive admittance and only only by one person. We read in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We all have times of need. But the throne of grace is open. You can come in confidence. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Take full advantage. I don't take full advantage. Prayer. Prayer is our language to talk to God. He's opened that access. The communication is two-way. We can come. We can pour ourselves out. We can be honest. We can be real. We can be who we are. By pouring ourselves out to God, He dialogues with us. He wants to have that communication. And He said, come any time. Come just to say thanks. Come just to say hi. At the conclusion of the finished work of redemption, we have this. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. The the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustained by all things by the powerful Word. 
after he made provisions for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Amen. 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 The work is done. We don't sit down until the work's done. But once the work's done, we sit down. The work of redemption's completed. Where does Jesus sit down? In His rightful place. At the right hand of the Majesty on high. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you're in the Timmins area or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.